What are you eating, by the way? Um, ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's what it was, and I was like, and a cookie. Is she eating? Is she eating ice cream? <laughs> Maybe Nate bought ice cream. <laughs> the last time James decided he wanted ice cream, we didn't have any in the house, mm-hmm. so he went out and bought five things of it. No, he didn't. <laughs> yes, he did. Hey guys, here's what's coming up. Next week on June 7th, we'll be talking about The Fires of Vengeance by Evan Winter, which is book two in the Burning series. We also did a review on book one, The Rage of Dragons, and we suggest you check that one out as well. Then, on June 14th, we have our first Patreon poll episode. We will be discussing The Fifth Season by N.K. Jeminson, thanks to our lovely patrons' choice in the May book picking poll. Do you want to get in on the poll to help choose an episode every month? Then you're in luck! Every patron who signs up at the $5 or more level gets to vote. This tier also gets you a shout-out every episode, just for being awesome, and a The Book Life logo sticker you can stick anywhere you want to show off your love of books. We hope you'll consider supporting us if you can, and we're incredibly grateful to all of you for listening in every week. Thank you. Speaking of thank yous, we want to send a huge thank you and shout-out to our patron, Ronnie. May your coffee never get cold. Unless, of course, it's iced. Now, on with the show. Welcome back to the Book Live Podcast with your host, myself, Mo, my best friend, Abby. And tonight we are jumping into Harry Potter and the Pillar of Azkaban, which is the third book of the Harry Potter series. I don't know if it's called anything beyond the Harry Potter series, maybe the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. But I thought that was like all encompassing for all the other crap, like the theme park and the, you know what I mean? I think it's just the Harry Potter series. Me too. Sounds great. I read this one. I remember it distinctly in sixth grade, and I remember it being the last one that was currently out. So I also remember, like, I plowed through books one and two and three, and then I was like, great, I'm out of books. Now I gotta wait. Fantastic. <laughs> but once again, I know that you read these in high school, and I have so much nostalgia when it comes to thinking about this book because I thought like sixth grade was a very pivotal world. World world no a pivotal year for me (laughs) I mean sixth grade is a world of its own so truly it truly is I mean to be super old-fashioned it was the year I became a woman you know (laughs) in case anyone would like to know because I really don't care if you know or not and I don't know sixth grade was just one of those years I remember being more involved in band I was playing the clarinet being more involved in school I played bas- I was on the basketball team I don't know sixth grade was a good year I like sixth grade we'll keep it I'm glad you liked it I wasn't a fan of my sixth grade year it's okay um once we got into seventh grade and eighth grade my fan level of school decreased greatly to about none <laughs> so Abby just in case our listeners don't know but they probably do what is the summary of this book by chance As Harry Potter gets ready to enter his third year at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, new dangers are afoot. Sirius Black, the infamous right hand of Lord Voldemort, has escaped Azkaban and is on the loose with his sights set on Harry. Kind of ominous, kind of scary, but kind of exciting as well. Man, I was just thinking, okay, 
So you were entering your third year of Hogwarts. What would be your um, elective that you would take? Or electives? Oh, man. Let's see. Let me list them all out first. There's Care of Magical Creatures, Arithmancy, Divination, Muggle Studies? Mm-hmm. Are those the only four electives? And Study of Ancient Runes. Study of Ancient Runes. Okay. Well... Let's see. I definitely wouldn't do divination. <laughs> really? You, you, you can't just drink your tea and stroll around and go, oh, yep, that there's a grim. It's going to come get me. No, I would be with Hermione in there. I'm just like, that feels like such a waste of time. I'd rather be reading a book. <laughs> okay. I would definitely not do arithmancy because my understanding is basically magical math and I'm not a fan of math. So you can say it's magical all you want. That doesn't help. So that leaves me with ancient runes, care of magical creatures. What am I forgetting? Arithmetic, care of magical creatures, divination, muggle studies, or study of ancient runes. Muggle studies. I wouldn't bother with muggle studies. I think I would be torn between ancient runes in care of magical creatures because magical creatures i mean that's a cool subject you can't you can't go wrong creatures. I mean, seriously you can't go wrong with it i agree completely but at the same time ancient runes sounds kind of fun like another language sort of thing you know mm-hmm. so like i don't know i think it would all depend on like what i was feeling that day that i signed up as to which one i took what about you i think so i I've always been torn between arithmetic because that's like the study of numbers. And I kind of think I would like that. Mm-hmm. I would not do muggle studies and I would not do divination. I would definitely do care of magical creatures is definitely what I would do. And probably study of ancient runes. Like I go back and forth between arithmetic and ancient runes, but I think I would enjoy ancient runes a lot more because it's history yeah. versus doing math. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so yeah. we're taking the same electives. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Since we're not in the same house, I'm okay if we take the same electives. Right. <laughs> anyway, so that's one thing I really liked about this book is that we got to see more electives that they got into. And I was kind of like, oh, this is so exciting. I love this kind of stuff. All right. Well, let's talk about the main characters that we run into throughout the Prisoner of Azkaban. You want to start with the first half? Sure. So, obviously, we have Harry, who is turning 13. He's got messy black hair, glasses, and a lightning scar. We all know him. He's been in the previous two books because he's the main character. (laughs) Then we have his best friend, Ron Weasley, who's a gangly redhead from a pureblood family, but they don't put stock on the pureblood part. Then we have Hermione Granger, who is muggle-born. Both of her parents are muggles, and they're dentists. Super <laughs> and she's, there. Right. She's got frizzy hair, and she's incredibly smart. Smartest witch of her year is what they are always saying of her. They All three of them are in Gryffindor. And then Harry's main rival is Draco Malfoy. He's pale and thin and... He's in Slytherin, and there's a huge rivalry between Gryffindor and Slytherin, as anybody who's read even anything about these books knows. <laughs> and then, of course, we have Harry's 
aunt and uncle and cousin. They are Vernon, Petunia, and Dudley Dursley. And they are very unpleasant people who hate everything magic. And child services really needs to be called on them. But that's a whole other can of worms. Some other opinions that you have. The other characters that we run into, we run into Mr. and Mrs. Weasley, which is Molly and Arthur Weasley. They are obviously Ron's parents. And of course, the whole Weasley clan, including Fred and George, Percy and Jenny, who we all see again later in the book. We also run into a new Defense Against Dark Arts teacher, um, Remus Lupin, who we meet on the train on the way to Hogwarts. We also have Sirius Black, who is this, like in the beginning, in the summary, this scary um, wizard who has escaped from Azkaban and who's on the loose. And he has his eyes set on Harry. And then we have, of course, Servius Snape who is our not-so-lovable, quite awful potions um, teacher and also the head of Slytherin. We lastly have Rubius Hagrid, who is a gamekeeper of Hogwarts and plays a slightly bigger role in Harry's educational life in the novel. All right, Abby. Well, that, of course, as always, is the first, um, we say first half, really the first quarter of our episode. And we're, when we come back from our break, we're going to spoil everything. And by spoil, we mean we're just going to talk about our favorite characters, our least favorite characters, our favorite scenes and least favorite scenes. And then we shall give our rating and wrap up and say goodnight. We'll be back in a minute. Talk to you in a minute, guys. This is the Novel Universe with your hostesses, Dawn and Ashley. We rate and review the newest and most buzzworthy books. We are true book club ladies that don't always agree, but we do enjoy a good book discussion. You can find the Novel Universe on Apple, Spotify, and Google, where we post new episodes twice a month. I'm Dawn, the criticizer of books. And I'm Ashley, the fantasy architect. So grab your favorite beverage and join our universe. Welcome back, guys. And remember, this half is spoilers. So if for some reason you have not read Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban or the Harry Potter series in general. Or seen the movies or anything, really. (laughs) If you have for some reason gotten this far and have not had any exposure to Harry Potter, please, I beg you, stop and go read the books or at least watch the movies before you proceed because we're going to be spoiling everything. All right, so as per usual, we are going to start with favorite characters. Mo, hit me up. Okay, so I think I said this in the first book in Harry Potter 1, but I am a, I'm a fan of Harry in this book. So like uh, my favorite characters that we sit with, I really like Harry in this one. He's not in that really obnoxious emo stage that happens in book five and six that I, well, more mostly book five is where I struggle a lot with how Harry acts. And in this one, I understand a lot of his mental state because he is given a hope that he can go live with his godfather because like Sirius is like, hey, do you want to come live with me? Like you don't have to go back to the Dursleys. And he's like, yes. And you get that hope for like a chapter. And then it's just ripped away from him. And you're just like, yeah. you know, but you'll start, under, I understand his decline in mental health and everything, but like, but he's still pretty optimistic. He's still not like, I'm Harry Potter. I have to go save the world. He's more like, I'm still just a kid navigating this crazy new 
life that I got shoved into and here we go. This is great. It's not that bad. I also, so I'm a huge Quidditch fan. I love Quidditch. I think it's just one of my favorite parts about the book, about the movies, about in, in general, because it's just cool and different and fun. And I love all the chapters about Quidditch. Um, my favorite chapter in the book is the chapter where it's Slytherin versus Gryffindor for the Quidditch Cup. And it's just like, I don't know, it's exciting. It's fun. I love listening to it. So it's my first time listening to the Harry Potter books as an audiobook. So I've just read it. Love it. I love all of the Quidditch-centered um, chapters around him. And I just love him being able to be a kid and enjoy school, basically. Yeah. I feel like a lot more of this particular book really lets him be a kid. Mm-hmm. Because with the first two books, yeah, he's still a kid. But there's, like, investigations and these, like, threats to the school and that kind of thing that are happening versus in this one for like Sirius Black is a threat, but at the same time, it's kind of a distant threat. Mm-hmm. And so you get a whole lot more of Harry just like attending class and being a kid. Right. And he gets to really bond with my next favorite character, which is Lupin. Like you get to really see a a good teacher student bond. Cause I mean in a lot of the other books that we you know, we just see the teaching, you know, we hear about Flint, we hear about McGonagall, we hear about Snape, we hear, there's no of that really good mentor to mentee relationship you see until you see Lupin comes in. I mean, Hagrid, yes, Hagrid does have it, but he's not in that teacher role. So like as a professor going to a student, I love Lupin. He's my favorite defense against our art teacher. He's just one of all my round favorite characters in the entire series. He's smart. He's witty. He actually knows what the hell he's doing, which is nice, because I feel like some of the adults in the Wizarding World are just kind of stupid, uh, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I love his first scene in the train where he's sleeping against the window in the <laughs> train car. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when the Dementors show up, he's just like, mm, no, thank you. Here, have some chocolate. You'll be fine. And just his loyalty to the Potters, to his friends, to Hogwarts. I, you know, I just, I just really love Lupin. I love his story. I love everything about Lupin. Yeah. I agree. Lupin, as I've said before, he's the defense against the dark arts teacher that we really deserved for all the books from here on out. Um, all of the books in general. Like, let's be honest. Like, he's the teacher we needed for all seven years. Oh, Yes. He deserved so much better. And honestly, I need a fan fiction where he just got to stay through the entire time. Like he didn't actually leave at the end of this book. And then, of course, I'm pretty sure I mentioned Hermione in book one and book two. Uh, Guess what? Hermione is still one of my favorite characters. I will forever be a Hermione fangirl. And this book, for one, she's crazy. Okay, like she has some different levels of crazy. So first level crazy we got is I would take every single class. I'm like woman, really girl, child, female thing, whatever you are at this point. You're not really an adult or child or woman, but like you're going to kill yourself trying to do all that homework and go to all those classes. But she makes it work. She's and I mean, she's so responsible. She's given a powerful magical device on the Ministry of Magic. I Dumbledore, we have a time turner, it's fine. We trust you. So she has that level of crazy going on. 
we trust a 13 year old by the way with something like this i don't know um it's fine and then plus we have the next level crazy where she's like mm, i'm gonna slap draco you're being a dick and i was like oh yes and i mean to me that, that scene i know we talk about the movies because that scene in the movie though she decks him with her fist it's still one of my favorite scenes and mm-hmm. it's great in the book great on the screen but yeah once again just Hermione is someone that shows hard work and determination can really get you where you want to be like I mean she spends the time she dedicates herself to it she's very admirable in that sense not that I want to do all that there's a lot of hard work I don't want to do but I admire her for doing that I feel like her taking all those classes is kind of like a freshman entering college and going I'll be up for all those 8 a.m classes it's fine you know? Mm-hmm. Except she really is up for all the stupid classes. Right. Until the end there when she really starts to fray a little around the edges. Yeah. But... She, she definitely gets some. So like we, like her, her level crazy, I'm going to take all the classes. I'm going to slap Draco because I'm a little bit more aggressive. Kind of like the breaking point at the end where they're like, do we ask her a question? I don't think we should ask her a question. I'm going to ask her this question. She's going to rip my head off. And then, you know, short answers, spurts, just growling and kind of like feral Hermione over the books. And you're like, oh, okay. Okay. She's a little crazy. But I mean, a year is a very, even nine months is a very long time to keep something like that going. So I probably would have gotten like two or three months in and gone, just been like snapping people's heads off at that point. So I admire her for making it that long. I know. How about for you, Abby? I mentioned my favorite characters. Who are your favorite characters in this book? For sure, Remus Lupin. Oh my gosh. Lupin will always be one of those characters that I feel like should have gotten more time than he did in some capacity. I just, there needed to be more Lupin mm-hmm. and there wasn't, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm with you on he's that just, one. He's such an awesome teacher. He's such an awesome person in general his whole story is great i i really miss the fact that he wasn't in the other books more after this like i know he shows up a couple times but it's just it's not the same as having him there at hogwarts teaching and being a part of their everyday lives and yeah if if i could change one thing about the series that would probably be it so yeah I absolutely love Lupin. The other character I really enjoy in this is Hagrid. I feel like Hagrid could have been this freaking amazing professor if not for Malfoy pulling his crap on that first day. Like, getting a teacher who loves their subjects, even if you don't really like the subject, it still helps you get through the class that much easier because you have this person up there teaching a subject that they are passionate about, that they love, and they want to share that passion with you, despite any efforts you may make. And so I feel like Hagrid could have been one of those professors who's just constantly nerding out about his subject and like just sweeping the class along with him. The problem is he never gets the chance to do that because his confidence is completely you know, stabbed in the heart that first day because Malfoy pulled shenanigans. 
dang it, Malfoy. Like, let's just, like, she probably should have slapped him on that day. You know, she waited too long to slap him. Right. I feel like if Haggard could have gotten, like, one calm year under his belt as a professor and then had Harry and Malfoy the next year, it wouldn't have gone nearly so badly, you know? Because he would have had the experience and he would have had, like, the confidence of, I've already done this for a full year. I can handle this. It's fine. It just, it kills me that Hagrid didn't get to explore his potential. I hate it. Because I love Hagrid. He is the father figure that is never acknowledged for Harry. And Hagrid deserved better, too. (laughs) Apparently, that's... Those are the characters I love in this book, the ones that I feel deserved better. <laughs> I mean, I completely agree with that because, like, you have two teachers here, like Lupin. I'm pissed that, you know, he was let go at the end of the book, essentially, and he had to be let go because of the werewolf prejudice, basically, in the wizarding world, which really sucks because he would have still been a really great teacher if they would just let him teach more. And then with Hagrid, like, if Draco hadn't been. Mm, I'm trying to give a nice word. Had it been Draco, Draco essentially, like imagine instead of having flubberworms of all the awesome crazy creatures that they could have discovered, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and like <laughs> spoiler for fu- a future book, minor spoiler for a future book, but when they have that other care of magical creatures teacher come in and take over Hagrid's class for a little while. Everybody loves her because she's doing things like unicorns and like cool creatures. And I'm like, Hagrid would have done that. If he'd been given the chance, he would have done that. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. But no, they weren't allowed to have a good, happy Hagrid. That part makes me so mad in those books because I'm just like, all these students are just like, falling over themselves to say how awesome this teacher is and how much better she is at Hagrid. I'm like, you stupid children. Mm-hmm. Y'all suck. That's what. It's like, you ruined Hagrid. You ruined this class for yourself. You can't have nice things. That's why. Exactly. This is why kids should never have nice things. <laughs> so let's just jump into characters you don't like because since we're ranting about students who can't have nice things, what teachers can't have nice things? Well, uh, that was not a spoiler. What Harry Potter characters cannot have nice things, Abby? <laughs> oh, okay. So I might get some hate for this because I know so many people love his character. I am not a fan of Sirius Black. <laughs> oh, well. I'm just I'm hearing the boos in the background. <laughs> I know there's so many people who like him. He is such a drama queen. (sighs) He's just too much drama for me. Just kill the guy who framed you for murder and sent you to Azkaban for 12 years? Nah! Better monologue and use vague pronouns instead of names just so everyone stays at cross purposes for as long as possible. Also, telling Harry that he's the reason his parents are dead and not immediately explaining that means he feels guilty for their deaths rather than how Harry takes it. And don't forget... To set the stage beforehand by forcing everyone to go back to the Shrieking Shack. Heaven forbid you just stomp on the rat as soon as you catch him. No, no. You need the ambience and nostalgia. 
And let's not forget that you snuck into the castle and held a knife over your godson's best friend in the middle of the night instead of doing something logical like going to Lupin or Dumbledore to explain your side of things. Dear God, drama queen. <laughs> there is so much drama that it's unnecessary and it drives me nuts. Oh, and serious Blacks ending up in Azkaban is another giant issue for me in and of itself because who the heck just assumes that they had like no proof that he'd actually done anything wrong and Dumbledore didn't stand up for him? Lupin didn't stand up for him? Like, are you seriously telling me nobody came to Sirius Black's defense like they didn't they couldn't have had a trial they could not have had a trial this is just more ministry incompetence as far as I'm concerned because there's no reason Sirius Black should have ended up in Azkaban if they had actually been paying attention (laughs) and so uh, just just Everything about Sirius Black and his storyline just frustrates me. I get so frustrated by Sirius. I really do. I don't even know what to say about it. I'm like, sorry. Oh my gosh. Just... I, I can't say I've ever been like a super fan of Sirius Black because he's, um, I don't like Harry Potter. And I'm sorry, but Sirius Black is the adult version of Harry Potter. Uh-huh. And they like, get along so well. I know it is. And then, like, don't spoil us fully, but, like, when we learn, like, more about their backstory, like, I hated him as a kid. He was just a terrible um, person. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yikes. That just, I'm just not a fan. I'm really not. And rereading it this time just made me really dislike him in general. Because... As important as that scene in the Shrieking Shack is for understanding what's going on, it's also very frustrating that Sirius wasn't just like, hey, Ron, guess what? You're rats and an amagus, and he's actually someone who used to be one of my best friends. He framed me for murder. That's why I was in Azkaban. Or, you know. I I mean, we could give him, like, the benefit of the doubt that he had been stuck there 12 years and was kind of crazy. Like, let's be honest. He has some trauma and probably some PTSD yes, from being stuck is, in there. Trauma is no excuse for drama. <laughs> at, least, at least in the book world. At least Got it. in Sirius Black, I do not accept trauma for his drama. <laughs> well, and then, like, he freaking broke Ron's leg. Why wouldn't you just go after the dang rat rather than dragging the whole boy with you? Like, listen, we didn't, for one, we know this. Oh, let me say, Sirius and Harry get along really well because they're a lot like each other. And because they're a lot like each other, they also have the same intelligence level as well. So Harry's not the sharpest tool in the box and Sirius is not the sharpest tool in the box. So I am just not surprised at how Sirius acted. Like if this had been... Let's be honest, Lupin probably is the Hermione of their group, okay? He's probably the smartest one in their group. If it had been Lupin, he'd been like, oh, probably shouldn't do that. Shouldn't break the kid's leg. I'm afraid to just eat the rat and just be done with it. It'd be fine. No. Yeah, I know. Like, 
like that. In the comparison, because there's a direct correlation between the main characters and the previous generation, like, so Hermione is Lupin. I think, is it Harry's supposed to be his dad, obviously. Sirius is Ron. Peter Pettigrew is Neville. Except Neville's a, a better than Peter, so we're good. Right, like, the current generation is basically getting a do-over from the previous generation and they're doing it the right way mm-hmm. so like i've also read a fan theory where um luna is snape stand-in so kind of weird kind of off the wall doesn't have any friends is constantly picked on and bullied and everything and luna instead of becoming bitter and mean and holding grudges chooses to forgive and move on and just keep doing her mm-hmm. yeah i mean she really does her Which is what snape did yeah, not do did not. speaking of snape speaking of him speaking, speaking of, snape, of snape yes yes that that evil little weasel i get so pissed because i love lupin so much i get so mad anytime snape tries to throw him under the bus or say something to expose him as a werewolf Because it's just like, really, dude? Really? It's been over 12 years since you went to school with him. And you're still holding this grudge. Somebody didn't grow up and it's not Lupin. True statement. Lupin definitely matured, became an adult, and made do with what life had been given to him, you know? Versus Snape Mm -hmm. just... Well, and Lupin in the later book admits how horrible they were to Snape. And like accepts the fact that hey I may not have always been in on the humiliation and bullying that they did to Snape but I also just stood there and watched so that made me a participant and I feel badly Mm -hmm. about that I wish I had done something so I mean like Lupin clearly grew up (laughs) and Snape is still stuck in I didn't like your father Harry like can you get any more petty? Right. So much bitterness. It's like, calm down, buddy. Things are fine. And he's still taking stuff out on the students, which always makes me angry. Like, those kids had nothing to do with anything. You're just uh, words I can't say on this podcast. Yeah. Because <laughs> we keep our podcast pretty clean. Yes. But we are thinking bad words, aren't we? I'm thinking many bad words about Snape. All right. Who did you dislike? Oh, Snape, obviously. I'm not a Snape fangirl. Like, I know a lot of people swoon over him. And, I mean, Oliver Rickman was a wonderful Snape. Love him in the movies and everything. But I'm still, like, not a, oh, I love Snape. He's just a tortured and sad soul. No, he's an awful person. Like, he shouldn't be a teacher. Like, when he snaps at Hermione during the Defense Against Dark Art class that he teaches and Coach Lupin was incapacitated. And he's like, being a know-it-all. And the whole class is like, oh my goodness. You know, like, even though they all know Hermione is a know-it-all. And that's fine. Because she she just is. But they're like, you can't be mean Hermione. Like, she's doing her very best. You know? Mm-hmm. And he's just a terrible person with a ship of children. And he needs to go away. Anyway. Well, and there's such a big difference between movie Snape and book Snape. Because movie Snape, being played by Alan Rickman is actually a far more sympathetic character than book Snape is in reality. 
like <laughs> if you genuinely compare how they portrayed Snape in the movies versus the books, he's not quite as bad in the movies. Like he still sucks, but he's not nearly as bad. Snape in the books is an absolute incel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's terrible. Also, you mentioned the Ministry of Magic. Cornelius Fudge is an idiot. And I'm like, why are you the Minister of Magic? Just get out of Ministry. Like, you're, he's just a politician. I'm like, just, just go away. No one wants you here. He, and he just buddies up to Harry. He's like, oh, Harry, we're going to take care of you. Things will be fine. And I'm like, mm, no, things really aren't going to be fine with you, buddy. Yeah, Cornelius Fudge is a politician's politician. Just, nope. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's about it for me. I mean, just like a lot of people in this book, just the main people. Like, Ian Draco isn't really, like, he's a little obnoxious. But I was like, meh, make a live without you, crap oil. Meh, peeps, meh. But I'm going to talk about some of my favorite things, which mm-hmm. are favorite scenes. Abby, tell me about your favorite scenes. What are your favorite scenes? Hermione slapping Draco. Iconic. I know we already brought it up, but... It's my favorite scene in this book. Uh, we can mention it all night. That's <laughs> fine. We can just keep mentioning it until the cows come home. Oh, yeah. Have we mentioned yet that Hermione slaps Draco? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, such a good scene. Yeah. Such a good scene. I also really love the scene when Hagrid is being announced as the new Care of Magical Creatures professor. Like... How adorable. He was so proud and he was so happy and he was so excited. And I was so excited for him, even though I knew it was going to happen. Because, <laughs> like, yes, this is exactly the kind of thing, like, his wand was snapped. He was expelled from Hogwarts. He never graduated. And this guy who has been the groundskeeper for all these years since he was expelled is now getting this chance that he never thought he would have to teach a subject he adores. Like, I can't imagine how excited I would be if that was me. And so I'm just like, I love you, Hagrid. I wish things had gone better, but I still love you. So I just thought that was such a sweet scene before things go butt up, you know? So what about you? What are some of your favorite scenes? I have to say that some of my favorite scenes, okay, so I'm like super specific with this because I, once again, really like the Quidditch matches, okay? I love chapter 15. Chapter 15 is the Quidditch Cup um, at Hogwarts where it's Slytherin versus Gryffindor, and gosh, like Slytherin is playing so dirty, and I love like when, um, oh, I forgot the announcer's name, but it's the Weasley twins. Lee Jordan when he's like with him and Gonagal are both just yelling and she's like I can't let you say these things but she's sitting there yelling too at the same time from the stands at all the bad calls and I'm just like yes that's right and I love that and I love when Harry sees the snitch and he's like I'm gonna go get and he's just zooming down and he's triumphant and he holds it up and he's just victorious and everybody's just like it's that moment again, where he's a kid. He gets to be a kid and live truly one of those big pivotal moments that you get as a child, which is winning an award or winning a big match. And he gets to just really be something he's never gotten to be before, you know? 
he doesn't have to be this big hero that defeated the dark mm-hmm. wizard. He doesn't have to be this kid that has no friends and has bullied. No, he gets to literally be a kid. Yeah. And I, that's, I think that's why I love that so much. Um, also, just love Quidditch. You know, not everyone loves sports, but I love the creativity that went into making this, the different in- intricacies that comes with a seven-man team flying on broomsticks with all these different balls and all the different ways to score. I do think it's really cute at the end of the Quidditch Cup match how uh, Harry thinks to himself that he wishes Dementors would show up right now because he could make the best Patronus ever. Like, that is such a cute mm-hmm. thought. I do love that. It's like, that's right, buddy. Okay. And then, like, honestly, I love the entire third, last half third of the book because I love from the moment that they win the Quidditch Cup to the revelation of Peter and the time tra- I love the time traveling. I know you don't love the time traveling. <laughs> um, to saving Buckbeak and Sirius. And they get away with everything. And they make it back in time. And Dumbledore closes the door. And he's like, well, the kids have been here the whole time. Where else could they have gone? And Snape is like, no, it was Harry. How to be Harry? And you're like, it was Harry. I know it was Harry. <laughs> but it's, you know, and we just get to giggle and know. But it's like... Just that big epic adventure, all of the intricacies of running, you know, like only them could have made it work and Dumbledore could have done it. It had to just be them to save the day. And it's just one of those scenes, like that whole bit is just what made me fall in love with Harry Potter and the Harry Potter world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like this book would not have been nearly as interesting if it hadn't been for the last third of this book. With all the revelations and everything. Mm-hmm. It was a very normal school year for him. Like, yeah. again, like, this is the school year he gets to be a, an actual student and kid. And I just have to mention, I love every scene with Lupin in it. Just, I don't care what scene from the beginning where he's on the train to teaching them how to fight the Bogart and the cupboard to him giving private lessons to Harry and being a mentor to him even giving the Marauders back map back to Harry before he leaves all of it every scene with Lupin is a win yep what about least favorite scenes what scenes um about this book did you not like <laughs> well speaking of time travel <laughs> I know trust me I was like okay well I love the time travel sorry anyway why don't you what what are your least favorite scenes Abby I don't feel like you should apologize for liking the time travel because Reading this book through the first couple times, like, that is a very fun plot twist. It really, like, ties everything together that was being set up, and I enjoy that. The problem is I have read this book way more than two times, which means I have thought about it a lot. And the time travel just pokes too many holes in the general lore of the world for me to be comfortable with it. Because, first off... You can tell me that the ministry has all these laws and regulations surrounding time turners. Great. Except I don't trust the ministry. They are incompetent throughout this entire series. I do not believe at all that nobody has ever broken in and stolen a time turner. All right. And just the fact of like, how can you tell me there wouldn't be people who would be desperate enough to see a dead loved one again to like stop them from being killed or whatever, that they wouldn't go that they wouldn't risk breaking into the ministry to get a time turner to go back and save them. 
But here's the thing too. Apparently, when I was doing research on the time on time turners, that they only have a max of five hours, which is why you can't go back like super far. Really? They have a max of five hours? They're supposed to. Okay. That's why see, she got three turns and she only can only go back three hours. The max would be five hours. Except that is never established in the books. That is true. I know it's not established in the books. You can't retcon that kind of thing just because you realize you wrote plot holes. There well, are still plot here's, holes here for those. Here's a fun thing about when you are J.K. Rowling and you have own Wizarding World and Pottermore, you can just throw all this crap out there and make whatever the hell you want. And see, spoiler for the next book, I think it's the next book, when they go to the Ministry of Magic and they smash all those time turners, she specifically wrote that in because she knew the time turners were a plot issue. So all the time turners get destroyed because she knew they were a problem. So my complaints are valid. Look with the complaints. Now, I mean, even here, so like there was JK Rowling thought she was like, she's like, I was definitely far too lighthearted about the subject of time travel and Harry Potter and Prisoner's Command. And this is how I solved it. She basically had Dumbledore and Hermione emphasize how dangerous it would be to be seen in the past remind the reader that there will be unforeseen and dangerous consequences as well as pollutions in time travel. Secondly, she made sure Hermione gave back the only time turner ever to enter Hogwarts. And third, like you said, she smashed all the time turners remaining during the Battle of the Department of Mysteries and therefore removing possibility of reliving even short periods of the future. But yeah, so she did retcon, retcon a little bit with Pottermore and she did give more background history about how it came to be how you can only go back five hours, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, which is great and all, but if you're just reading the books, it's an issue. That's true. So if we were only focused on the book and not focusing on all of the other stuff that they have, I mean, I mean, remember, this is her third novel. And of course, she's going to make some some issues. Well, and like I said, it's really fun to read through the first couple of times. I've just read it so many times now that it's one of those things that really bothers me. Like, I know she retconned to fix it all, but mm, it still gets me. Maybe we just need to make you go to Pottermore and read a whole bunch of lore, and then you'll be okay. Eh. And, (laughs) eh. (laughs) Anyway, if not for time travel, what is your other least favorite scene? So, the other scene in this that I don't really enjoy is Sirius's monologue in The Shrieking Shack. Not using names, just pronouns. And I'll grant you, I enjoyed reading it the first couple of times. Kind of like the time travel stuff. But every time I read through it again, I'm just struck by how dramatic and ridiculous he is being. Just, oh, oh, it just, it annoys me more and more every time I read it. Because it's like, for the love of all that is holy, just tell them Pettigrew is the rat. Use his name. Stop with all these stupid pronouns. I think you have some issues with Sirius Black that you might need to address. I do. And this past reread has just like really brought them to the forefront for me. Because <laughs> I've never stopped and like really considered what characters and scenes I liked and disliked until we started doing this. And so now I'm just like, dang, I have more issues with Sirius Black than I realized. 
Well, I really can't wait for the readers to hear your true thoughts about Dumbledore, probably in book six. Oh, I have so many thoughts on Dumbledore. (laughs) (laughs) But once you become more prominent, I cannot wait for the listeners to hear about your thoughts about Dumbledore. Oh, that'll be... Because, guys, you're lucky you're not subjected to all the the crazy theories that I am sent throughout the day from Abby. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, woman, like, okay. Dumbledore and I need to sit down and have a serious conversation or two. Yeah. Uh, All right. So what least favorite scenes do you have? A whole bunch. I think most of my least favorite scenes are anything that involves the Dursleys in the beginning. I'm not, I I don't know. I I love, love this book. I think it's just the beginning few chapters or until he steps on that's just kind of weird. So maybe once he gets into like Diagon Alley, but it's like the Dursley. So I'm like, go away, guys. You're annoying. I love this book. This is my favorite book. I don't have like least favorite scenes in this book. And that is perfectly valid. Thank you. As it should be. <laughs> All right. So tell me your final thoughts then, since you don't really have any least favorite scenes. I don't. So this book. So this is my five out of five book. I know we had just talked about another book or it was a really good book, but because I don't feel like I want to reread it very, yeah, I will reread it, you know? So it's a four and a half out of five. This for me is my most read Harry Potter book besides book one. It's my favorite book. I love all the Quidditch. I love glimpsing into Hogsmeade and Diagon Alley. I love when we get to see the world outside of Hogwarts and we get to really see adults in the wizarding world. That's why I love Fantastic Beasts and where to find them so much, especially, you know, the movies. I love Newt Salamander. It's like being back in in the borough, which is like one of my favorite scenes in book two. And again, it's going to be some of my favorite scenes in book four. I love being outside of school, seeing all the stuff outside of school. And I love how we get introduced to... Harry's parents pass essentially with bringing in Lupin and bringing in Black. And then we start to see the true formation, I feel, of the major plot line that is Lord Voldemort throughout the whole series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I believe I have all of these books listed as five stars, just like I gave them all a blanket five stars because, again, there's a lot of nostalgia tied to them. And so I didn't, I, <laughs> I wasn't rating them on like what I was currently thinking of them. That's so nice of you because my, uh, I definitely did because I know one of my least favorite books is coming up and I can tell by my Goodreads reading, rating. Anyway, continue. Um, if I was going to rate this book now, I would probably give it four stars just for the, my issues with the uh, time travel stuff. And that's not to say she didn't retcon it really well. I just, I'm, I'm indifferent to her retconning. <laughs> This is the first book in this series without the Dursleys physically abusing Harry. So, progress, I guess. <laughs> at least something. I didn't have to worry. For, going on here. I didn't have to worry for his physical safety, at least. This is mental <laughs> safety. It's okay. Jeez. So, something that was the, that I got thinking about during my reread of this book. Have you considered what a horrible spot the Slytherins are in? Like, even if they want to be nice and be friends with people in other houses, no one is giving them a chance. 
So literally their only other option is to cling to the other Slytherins that much harder because no one else in the school wants Slytherin to win at anything. When you, when we're at the uh, Quidditch match, the last Quidditch match, you have literally Slytherin house rooting for themselves and everybody else in that school is dressed in red and gold rooting for Gryffindor. And that was just like such a poignant in your face example of how alone Slytherin house is in that in that school and then consider like you know they only talk about there's only four what is it five four poster beds in the Gryffindor tower for year five right mm-hmm. so like there's only five people in Harry's year so there's like maybe only 20, 25 kids in that year. So 25 times seven, it's a pretty small school. It's not a big school at all, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it's my understanding that it was bigger before the Wizarding War with Voldemort, but because he exterminated so many Wizarding families that weren't on his side, it really, it like seriously hurt the numbers of kids in Harry's generation. Because, like, if Harry's parents had lived, they probably would have had one or two more kids, maybe. So that right there cut the number of kids that one family produced in half or by a third. Or two-thirds. And then you have families like the Weasleys who have all the children. Right. But still, that doesn't, like, equal out because they're such a rarity. So... So just the fact that, like, Slytherin is so alone and there's so few kids in that year to begin with. So you just, like, so just because this one little first year is ambitious, they get stuck in Slytherin. And you can't tell me that every single Slytherin is a pure-bloodist, elitist person. You can't tell me that. You cannot convince me of that. Like... There's no way. And I hate that Slytherin being the bad guys makes ambition seem like a bad thing. Because ambition in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing to have. It's just... So all the Slytherins are being taught that if they're going to get their ambitions, they have to use any and all dirty tactics to make sure they win. Because that's what this school is teaching them. I'll, I'll say, remember, one thing to note too, like Adromeda Tonks was um, Sirius Black's favorite cousin and she was a Slytherin. Well, and exactly, that's it. Like, not all Slytherins are like this, but they're all treated the exact same way. Like, they're the evil bad guys. Mm-hmm. It just, what a horror. Yeah. Exactly. So she was like, it's just it's such a horrible lesson to be drilling into these poor kids that because they're ambitious that makes them automatically the bad guys and if they're going to get their ambitions they have to use dirty tactics and i mean quite frankly if my child Mm -hmm. went to hogwarts got sorted into slytherin and they you know sent me an owl going hey i got into slytherin i'd be like cool we're sending you to to a different magic school because you ain't staying there like, why would I want my child to have this lesson ingrained in them for seven straight years? This just, oh, 
the whole system is so messed up. I know. I know. And just like, I don't know, sometimes I think, you know, we put all of these attributes to, you know, Ravenclaw, they must be smart and studious. And Hufflepuff, they are friendly and loyal. And Gryffindors, you know, they are brave. And Slytherin, they're cunning and ambitious. Like, it's like almost like the um, when people put so much um, emphasis into the zodiac signs, like, oh, you must be, if you are a Leo, you must be this way. Oh, no. You know, like, there's going to be, you know, of course, exceptions to the rule and everything, but, like, really, like, it's it's just a place for you to belong, and you're kind of just magical half says, hey, you probably are going to get along with these people best, so you just go with these guys, okay? Right. Well, and, like, it cracks me up that Ravenclaws are supposed to be, like, the smart, studious ones, when in reality, as a Ravenclaw, I can tell you, we're reading books, and they are not on the subjects that our teachers have told us to read on. <laughs> like, I feel like Luna is really the epitome of what Ravenclaws actually are. You think so? Because <laughs> they're just, they're lost in their own worlds with whatever books catch their fancy. <laughs> And that's what a true Ravenclaw is. Um, fun fact, <laughs> did you know that Trelawney was a Ravenclaw? I did. Right, makes sense. Yep. And, and so was Lockhart. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for reminding me of the illustrious people in my house. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, I love Luna. You can't, you can't not love Luna. I do love Luna, even though she isn't in this book. <laughs> that's true yeah yeah there, there's some special ones there yeah but like I said it was that big final match between Gryffindor and Slytherin that really just like shoved that thought into my face because there was such a small section cheering for Slytherin and it was all Slytherins like how sad is that mm-hmm. it is sad because you can bet if the final match had been between, like, Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw, that school would have been split down the middle. Yep. So it's just, like, it's so sad. Or really, Slytherin versus any of the other houses, yeah. Yeah, exactly. If Slytherin is going up against anyone, everybody else is going to root for the other person. So. Yeah. I mean, I got nothing else for you. I think that's the end of the episode. Thank you for coming tonight. <laughs> I have a really heavy thought to end with. I got nothing soft and happy and fun. Sorry. <laughs> and on that dark note, my apologies. <laughs> we will talk to you guys next week. <laughs> Good night, guys. If you liked what you heard today and want to help us spread the book love, drop us a rating or review on the app you use. Or share the episode post on your preferred social media. Everything helps. You can also check out our Patreon for some awesome perks like access to our mini-series, a monthly guaranteed episode poll, and much more. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter under the name The Book Life Podcast. If you'd like to contact us directly, you can email us at thebooklifepodcast at gmail.com. The song is Theme for an Unmade Anime by C8 Benoit from their album Dominique. You can find them on Instagram at C underscore A underscore B 
B-E-N-O-I-T. That's C-A Benoit. And on Spotify under their name, Katie Benoit. Thanks for listening. Till next time.